I invite you again, if you have your Bibles, to please turn to the first, to the Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 14. Last week we looked at the first 20 verses or so of this chapter. This is a chapter in which the Apostle Paul shows how the Corinthian Christians, and of course us as well, how we can put into practice the love he describes so perfectly in chapter 13. And please keep this in mind now, because sometimes we take things out of context so much, we don't get the message that the Spirit of God is giving us. And this is especially true when we come to the book of Corinthians and dealing with love. Paul takes an entire chapter, chapter 13, to describe love, what it, what it does and what it doesn't do. And now in chapter 14, he's saying this is how you can show love in your Christian gatherings. How we can show love to one another when we gather together like this. He calls it the more excellent way, the way of love. And he says in chapter 14 that the first way we can show love to others when we meet is by always seeking to use the best spiritual gifts in the services. Always try, <clears throat> excuse me, to use those spiritual gifts that edify. Because he's going to repeat over and over again that the purpose for spiritual gifts is the edification of others, not ourselves. He repeats that again and again. And he gives one major principle in these opening verses, and that is this. He says, when speaking to one another in services of instruction and worship, use clear and understandable communication. Now, he's being specific here because he's talking about the two gifts that were uh, in sort of contest with one another. That's the gift of prophecy and the gift of speaking in other languages, what we call speaking in tongues. And when you read the epistle, you'll see, especially these chapters, you'll see that what was being misused and abused was the gift of tongues, especially. To be more specific, what Paul was telling them in these first verses of chapter 14 is that when meeting together as a church, only do those things that contribute to the building up and spiritual maturing of the body as a whole. Don't focus on those things that only benefit you personally, but focus on the things that benefit others. This is how we show love, because love is always looking out for the other person rather than for ourselves. So he says, speaking in languages without an interpreter being present should not be done. Why? Because it doesn't edify. It doesn't build up other people. And that's what gifts are so. And he says, if you use the gift of tongues when there's no interpreter, you're not being loving, nor are you being mature. In fact, you are being immature. You're showing your spiritual immaturity when you use the gift of tongues when there's no interpreter. But then that's the first section. But then he goes on to the second section that we will be looking at today. He goes on to give a second way that we can show how love can be demonstrated towards one another when we gather together like this. And he said that that is by maintaining order in the services. By maintaining order in the services. Verse 26. This is where he also repeats the primary purpose of spiritual gifts. Notice what he says, verse 26. What then is the conclusion, or what is the summary then, to summarize what is going on? Brothers, here's what's happening. When you come together, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, another language, or an interpretation. And notice this. All things must be done 
for edification. That's the bottom line principle. If we, if we fail to do this, then our meetings are not uh, achieving the purpose for God that God has designed, and that's for the building up of the body. All things must be done for edification, not some, but all things. He, in context, and we have to always be in context here, in context, he's speaking especially about the, the exercise of spiritual gifts. All of them must be exercised for the purpose of edification, not for our own selves. That's his point. So in these 15 verses now that he's going to be looking at, these are not just random thoughts that Paul is giving. Many people approach it as such. They pick out one verse, one portion of a verse, and that's where they look on. But these are not random thoughts. They're all connected together. And if you take them out of context, you're going to get the wrong interpretation. In fact, you'll see that as we go on into the passage. These 15 verses that we'll be looking at provide the concrete application for what Paul has been talking about up to this point. He's saying now, here is what I want you to do in light of what I've said so far. In other words, he is now going to correct what is being doing erroneously in the wrong way uh, in the Corinthian assembly. Now, when you read the scriptures, you have to be reminded of two important principles of biblical interpretation. And remember, my purpose as a Bible teacher is to explain the scriptures to you. Not to shout out you, not to haul out you, not to entertain you, but to teach you what God is saying in the word. And that's what we can be doing today, very specifically. There's a difference between description and prescription in the Bible. And if we don't differentiate when we study or read the Bible, we're always going to come up with the wrong application. Description describes what is going on at the time. In other words, he's describing what is going on. Prescription, on the other hand, delineates what is to be done. Not what is being done, but what should be done. And we have to see the difference in this passage. What Paul is doing in verse 26 is describing. He's saying, now here's what has happened when you gather together. One person come with a song, they want to sing. One person come with a revelation, they want to teach. One comes with a tongue and they want to speak in tongues. And it seems to be that they're thinking, hey, we should have the freedom to do that when we want to do that. And by the way, there's many, there are many people who believe that that's the way the early church met. They got together. Everybody who had anything to say said it when they wanted to say it. They wanted to sing. They sang when they wanted. They were leading in the Holy Spirit. Paul is correcting. That's a misconception. He's saying that it was being done, but he wasn't giving his approval of that. In fact, the whole chapter is given over to the fact that he's correcting that because that was not order. That was disorder. And he's bringing it together now. Sometimes we have very piously say, you know, about the Spirit's leading. And sometimes we forget that we also have a Spirit. And many times our Spirit is leading us in different ways than the Holy Spirit. And Paul is right now talking about that. You'll see as we go along. So what is, what is happening, he says, is that when you met, anyone was free to participate by contributing a hymn or a word of instruction. Now, a word of instruction here probably meant a lesson teaching from the Old Testament. Because remember, this time we didn't have a New Testament. Just had the Old Testament. A revelation was probably uh, a revelation that was given directly to a person by God. And that person would then, that person who was called a prophet, would then communicate that word 
directly given to him by the Spirit to the people. Then he says, uh, one gifted in the gift of tongues. Uh, this individual, if he was to share in the congregation, he must, he, he must be able to interpret it himself or have someone there to interpret it. Or else he said it shouldn't be done because nobody will understand it. We'll see that as we go along. But the controlling principle Paul is saying here is that when you come together with all of your desire to participate, remember that the ruling principle is love. Make sure you're doing it in a loving way. And the loving way is always regarding the other person more important than you are. And so Paul is describing what happened when the early church came together. Now it appears from verse 26 that the, um, that the meeting was informal and free. Would you like to answer that? In other words, there is liberty in the spirit, they would say. Spirit of God to use the gifts which he had given to members of the church. One man would get up and read a psalm, as I said. Another would come up and do something else. Another would speak in a foreign tongue. And that seems to have been the meeting. Some rival commentator says probably there were no leadership in the meeting at that time. But I personally won't go far that far to say that. I, I just think that these individuals were carrying the freedom they felt they had in the spirit too far. And they were confusing their own spirit with the Holy Spirit. Um, the primary purpose Paul underlines then is spiritual growth, edification. We should use our gifts for that purpose. Then he goes on now to give specific instructions to those who were causing problems in the church. And the first one he addresses are those who were speaking in tongues. In verse 27, and he gives four conditions here, four rules for the person speaking in tongues to follow if they're going to show love and if they're going to do things in order. First he says, if any person speaks in another language, this is verse 27, First, there should be only two. But then he says, or the most three. He sort of says, well, all right, maybe I'll just give you a little bit of grace here. But don't go more than three. And each in turn. That's where the order comes in. You don't do it all at the same time, as they were doing. You have people speaking in tongues, all of them at the same time, nobody interpreting. So what will happen? Just one big noise. And you'll see that some of them were saying, hey, that's how the Spirit is leading. We cannot control what the Spirit does. Paul is going to correct that and say, that's not true. You who have the gift, you can control how you use the gift. He says that very clearly. We'll see that. Each in turn. And then fourthly, someone misinterpret. So he's very clear here. Four specific directions here given. This is prescription as we call it. Only two, at the most three, each in turn, and someone must interpret. Now, what happens if these conditions are not met? Paul explains it in verse 28. If there is no interpreter, that person should what? Keep silent in the church and speak to himself unto God. And notice, he keeps silent. It's amazing how we go to this passage and the only people we look at who must be silent is the women. But notice, he's talking about those who are speaking in tongues. If there's no interpreter, what? Be silent. All right? Now, why should they be silent? Because their communication would not be edifying to the body as a whole. 
And they would only cause disorder in the, tr- in, the, in the church. So Paul is trying to correct a disorder. And he's also trying to show that God, as he'll say in a while, is a God of, God is a God of order and not a God of disorder. Now, in this context, what does silence mean for the tongue speakers? Look at the text. It's meditation. What does he say? Look at the text now. If there is no interpreter, the person should keep silent in the church and what? Speak to himself unto God. So in this case, silence for the tongue speaker means meditation. Now, some people interpret this to mean that you speak tongues to yourself and you speak tongues to God. But you see, that's an error. That's a misinterpretation of the passage. Gifts were not given for your benefit. It was given for the benefit of others. The gifts were not to benefit God in the sense of edifying God. Because God doesn't need that. All right. So this is not a word of approval for speaking silently in tongues. It means, hey, you do you meditate yourself. Don't speak is what he's saying. Be silent. So he's saying just meditate. That's what he's saying here. The reason is to avoid confusion and to allow edification to take place. Because if the person just gets up and speaks without an interpreter, he's causing confusion and there's not order in the church. Now, as I said, this is a teaching time, and so some things might seem a little technical to some of you, but I'm going to do it anyway because I think it's important for us to learn the scriptures and to give a reason why we believe something. And it's important here for this word that is used for speak, or I'm sorry, the word for silent. The word that is used here is a Greek word, segato. This meaning to be silent, the word has to be interpreted within its context. It could mean something else in different contexts. So it has to be interpreted within its context. And this particular word is only used several times in scripture. In Acts chapter 12, verse 17, and Peter is miraculously freed from prison. Prison, You remember, he goes to the house of his friends, and they opened the door, and the maid sees him. And they wish he wouldn't believe that it was him. You remember that? Luke then goes on to say this, and I quote, Peter motioned to them with his hands to be sagato, to be silent. What is, what is happening? These people were talking. They were trying to say, who is this? That cannot be, that cannot be Peter, rather. That cannot be Peter. You see? And so he motions with his hands to be silent. In other words, be silent and let me communicate to you so you could hear, you could understand. And then he described for them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. That's the first use here. And then in Acts chapter 21, verse 40, 40, Paul is arrested, remember, in the temple in Jerusalem. Luke says that the whole city was aroused and the people rushed together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. Then Paul was taken into custody. But then he asked to address the unruly crowd, the crowd that was making all kinds of noise and just confusion. And then Luke says that Paul was given permission. He stood on the steps and motions for segato, silence. In other words, all of these people were causing confusion. Paul says, be silent. Let me talk. So you can hear me and understand what is going on. Now, in these contexts, as well as the context of the passage in 1 Corinthians 14, the meaning of the word silent is to not create a disturbance. 
and allow communication to take place. That's the idea. Paul directs anyone then who wishes to speak in tongues that if he or she cannot meet the conditions that he stipulates, then they should be sagato, silent. Why? So communication could be done in an orderly way so everybody could understand. Confusion would not result. So that's what he says to the tongue speaker. Be silent if you cannot interpret or there's no interpreter. Don't cause confusion, is what he's saying. He then moves on to give specific instructions to the other group that was causing problems, and that was the prophets. They were also causing problems. He says in verse 29, two or three prophets should speak, and the other should evaluate. Evaluate what they were saying. Because you see, again, Paul will explain that sometimes you might think you get a message from the Spirit of God, but it's your own spirit who is moving you to want to say something. But if anything has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be what? Sagato. Be silent. Why? So there would be no confusion and proper communication could take place. The same conditions for that he gave to the tongue speakers, he gave to the prophets. Be silent so proper communication could take place and there is no disorder. Why should they be silent? Because the communication would not be edifying to the body as a whole. And they would only cause disorder in the church. In other words, if you get two people who say they get a revelation from God and both want to speak at the same time, that's, that's confusion. And no, no proper communication will be made. And so... Uh, you would not be edified. For instance, suppose right now, uh, Brother Brian gathered yeah, Pastor Lee. Man, I've been studying this passage a long time. And I got something I want to say. But I say, Pastor Brian, I'm speaking. But he says, well, I don't care. The Holy Spirit tells me to say this. Now, Paul is saying that uh, I should shut up and sit down if it's really the Spirit of God that is moving him. Now, he's got to be sure it's the Spirit of God and not his own spirit. Who evaluates? You. You will evaluate it. But he says, be silent because your communication would not be edifying to the body as a whole, and they would only cause disorder in the church. And so be silent as far as the prophets are concerned means to stop speaking in order to allow someone else to speak. You see? Whereas when it was given to the tongue speakers, is be silent because no one can interpret. All right? And so you meditate. Now, he then explains why they should follow his advice in verse 31. He says, for you can all prophesy one by one. He's probably talking to the prophets, those who have the gift of prophecies. He says, you don't have to all speak at the same time. You can do it decently and in order, one by one. Just be patient. Patient is a mark of what? Love. Love is patient. You see, he's trying to say this is how you apply, this is how you show love in the assembly. For you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. That's the purpose for edification. That's the purpose for the gifts. Edification. Edification is the purpose for spiritual gifts. Paul is saying disorder prevents spiritual gifts from achieving its purpose of edifying the people of God. Verse 32, and the prophet's spirits. That is a big discussion. What spirits is he talking about? Some say it's the 
prophet's own spirit. That's his feelings, his emotions. You know, you're sitting there and you have a feeling something happened, you want to do something. Uh, that's your spirit. But it's also another interpretation that this could be referring to the gifts themselves. I believe both are included personally. He says, and the prophet's spirits are under the control of who? The prophets. Why? Since God is not a God of order, but of peace. In other words, he says, he's saying, you cannot blame the Holy Spirit for all of the disorder that's going on in the church. And people are getting up and saying what they want, when they want. You can't blame the Holy Spirit for that and say, that's the Holy Spirit there. Paul will say later on, in fact, I think we looked at it already. He says, if somebody comes in and don't understand what the church is doing, they'll think you're crazy. You see, that's what he's trying to correct. You see, the Corinthians had the false idea in this, in this section here that the more a person possessed the Spirit of God, the less self-control they had. We still have that thinking today. The more the Spirit control me, the less I don't have control of myself. And so anything goes, you see, anything goes. Have you been heard when you see in certain times, certain places where women who are controlled and then they get on the floor and they're improperly seen, if you know what I mean, they say, that's the Spirit. I had no control of that. Paul is denying that. That's not the spirit. That's your own lack of self-control and your lack of controlling the gifts. They felt that uh, these individuals felt that they were carried away in a state of ecstasy. And they contended then that uh, since it was spirit doing it or not, they themselves doing it, it was okay. It was allowable. Paul is saying that is not true. All right. So these individuals were also saying, I imagine, hey, I could speak as long as I want because I'm being led by the Spirit. That's what I believe. You see, I could speak as long as I want because I'm being led by the Spirit. You see, others were saying, hey, I could speak in tongues when I want, where there's no interpreter or whatever. I could do what I want because I'm being led by the Spirit. That's the idea they had. Paul is correcting that. All right. So he's given instructions now to two groups of people. And he's told both of them to do what? When they're not doing things properly, what he should do? Be silent. Right? It's amazing how we go to this passage and the only people we are told to be silent is what? Our what? Women. You never hear about the prophets or the other ones. But now he goes to the third group of people who are causing problems. And as always, that's the women. Now, let's look at this. One person already says, Now, Pastor Lee, you don't cause no trouble in the church today. Well, that's why I want you to open your Bible, because what we're going to look at now, you're probably not going to agree with. At least most of you. All right? But I want you to look at Scripture. As in all the churches of the saints. Now, isn't that easy to interpret? He's simply saying what? He said, what I'm about to tell you now is something that is done by all the churches everywhere. He's underlining the fact again that it seems that the Corinthians were out there all by themselves. They're marching by, uh, by their own drum. They wasn't listening to what the apostles were teaching all through the church. All right? So he's stating a principle and policy that are established in all the apostolic churches. He goes on. The women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, 
they should ask their own husbands at home. Why? It is disgraceful, it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church meetings. Now, what is Paul doing here? Paul is speaking specifically to a certain group of women. He's not speaking to all women, as so many people seem to think. How do we know he's speaking to a certain group? Because he tells us. Right? These women are wives. How do we know they're wives? Because they live with husbands at home. The passage says that lady says, if you have anything, what? Ask your husbands at home. So therefore, the women that he is addressing are not all women. He's addressing wives who have husbands that they can talk to at home. Now, that's the context. If you take it out of that context and apply it to everybody, then you are misinterpreting the scripture. All right. Now, why is he dressing these women specifically and not all women generally? Because they're the ones who give in the trouble. It wasn't the single wives that caused the trouble. It was, I'm sorry, not single wives. <laughs> it's not the single women. Some wives feel that they are single who are married. But anyway, it's not the, the single women who are giving the trouble. It's the wives who are giving the trouble. And Paul is very clear on that if you read the text. All right? Now, what is the problem? This is where it comes, you really need to study the text. Because the only indication of what the problem is that these women were involved with is what Paul gives in the correction. In other words, to understand the problem, you have to see the remedy. And Paul gives a remedy. What did Paul direct them to do? Be silent in the gathering in the church. That means they must have been talking, right? Because he wouldn't say, be quiet if they weren't saying something. Why? He gives a reason. Number one, they're not permitted to speak in the church service. So the implication is clear. They were, in fact, speaking in the church services. Or he wouldn't tell them that, hey, you're not supposed to do it. They were, in fact, speaking in the church services. Also, they were speaking, why? Look at the text. Because they wanted to do what? They wanted to learn something. Because he says, if you want to learn anything, do what? Ask your husbands when you get home. So, they're in the church and they are asking questions or talking because they want to learn something in the open meetings. That their husbands are participating in. And they were asking questions that they were not supposed to at the time, at the particular time in the church service. Why not? Because, Paul says, when you do that, you prevent edification for the whole body in taking place. You're disturbing the order of the meeting when you interrupt to ask questions uh, uh, in the open meeting. And so the same reason why those who spoke without interpretation or those who prophesied and wouldn't shut up, they were acting disorderly and therefore prevented edification from taking place. That's what Paul is trying to correct. So Paul told the women, as he told the prophets, as he told the ones speaking in tongues of interpretation, be staccato, be silent. He's talking to the wives. They should be silent also to show what? That they are submissive. Submissive to home. Their husbands. So what they were doing was showing a lack of submission to their, to their, home, to their husbands. That's why Paul told them, uh, wait until you get home. Now you can ask the questions at home without showing a lack of submission, but you cannot ask the questions of your husbands or of any man the context gives here um, 
uh, in a meeting. You see, that was the disgraceful thing to do. It wasn't the asking of the question, it's where, it's where you were doing it, when you were doing it. All right? So, when you put it all together, Paul's corrective here, now this is where I'm sure that many of you are going to close it right now. Paul's corrective here does not ban or prevent women from speaking in the gathering of the church, period. But rather, it's meant to stop the disruptive verbal misconduct of women, especially wives, who are asking questions and thus interrupting the kind of orderly conduct that results in edification. That act was showing a lack of respect and submission to their own husbands. So Paul says, don't do it. Now, there's a lot of things we could go into as to uh, where does the Old Testament teach this and all of that, but that's another long story. But my point is this. Paul corrective does not ban women from speaking in the gathering of the church, period. But rather, it stops the disruptive verbal misconduct of women. And in context, wives especially, who are asking questions at whim and thus interrupting the kind of orderly conduct that will result in edification. Paul directs these wives to hold their questions to a setting and a home where they can gain access to information without causing chaos and preventing edification. Now, since he specifically identified wives in this text, perhaps it was only the wives who were causing the problem. Because in actuality, the principle not to disrupt the meeting holds for everybody, even men. The principle is you shouldn't do anything that disrupts the meeting or prevents communication that will edify. So that's a general principle. So it appears that these wives at Corinth were given uh, specific problems and that's why Paul had to address them specifically rather than all women generally. Then Paul addresses the disciple, the, 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 uh, the Corinthians very specifically. And he's calling all of them now to account, trying to show how their attitude was not one of love. Did the word of God originate from you? In other words, did you write the Bible? Because you see, they were doing things in a way that were different from all the other churches. So Paul said, do you have your own handbook for church? You know, many of us look at it that way, that we can devise our own handbook for church life. But there's only one, and that's the Bible. This is what Paul is confronting here. Do you think that you wrote the Bible? Did the Bible come from you? Because you're going so different contrary to all the other churches? Or did it come to you only? Do you only have the truth? Now, again, we have churches like this. You want the truth, you've got to come here. Can't go anyplace else. We're the only ones who have the truth. You see, Paul is, the implication is, no, you did not write the Bible. No, you do not, you're not the only one who have the truth, you see. So Paul is calling the whole Corinthian congregation to accountability for the chaos. It wasn't only the prophets. It wasn't only the tongue speakers. It wasn't only the wives. It was the whole assembly who's out of line. That's what Paul is saying. And because he, he identifies these individuals, though, because they were the more prominent ones and they, it had to be addressed. Now, sometimes that ha that's hard to do. You know, it's very difficult for me, and I'm sure other pastors here, to go to a person in the assembly who's causing trouble. Especially if that person has been involved in ministry for a long time. But their behavior, their attitudes are out of line. It's very difficult to go to correct that person. We should, but it's still difficult. 
So Paul is addressing the whole congregation now. You are all at fault here because you are allowing this disorder and this chaotic situation to, to continue. So he's saying the Corinthians have no right to violate a principle of mutual submission, an order that is recognized in all the churches. You are not different or set apart or unique from all the other churches. You cannot simply march to the beat of your own drum, he's saying. And so Paul calls them to correction, and he says you need to correct the verbal misconduct by the tongue speakers and the prophets and by the questioning wives. You must act to correct the situation. He's saying it to the whole assembly. And so, to summarize, the praying and prophesying in the assembly by women in, this, in chapter 11 is different from these wives who are continually questioning the speakers in the assembly meeting in chapter 14. Some people try to look at them as the same, but this is a whole different situation. The clear insubordination of these wives had in common with that of tongue speakers and prophets called for Paul's inclusion to be firm. And he says, be silent. Who are to be silent? All of those of you who are causing confusion. The tongue speakers, the prophets, as well as the wives uh, who would also show a lack of submission to their husbands. They were all committing the same disruptive actions. Now, the application is clear to us. If we are involved in any kind of behavior or action that will disrupt clear communication of the word of God or the exercise of gifts that edify one another, we are acting contrary to love. We are being immature, you see. Today we live in a situation where everybody believes that the church has to be one that you always Excited all the time. You're always jumping up. You're always making all kinds of noises and all that kind of a thing. Paul is saying that's not necessarily so. You see, because many times you're not being edified. Your spirit might be benefited, meaning your own personal likes and dislikes. But you are not being built up in the faith. And that's the primary thing that should be done when we gather like this. You don't gather like this just to have fun. Now, there are times for you to do it, but not like this. You gathered here to be edified by one another, by members of the body of Christ. And everything we do should be done with that in mind. And it should be done in an orderly fashion. It should be done in a decent fashion, he's saying. And so I would say here then, that, uh, that if there are reasons why women should not have speaking roles in the church public assembly, you cannot find it from this passage. I'm not saying it is not taught in other passages. But I'm saying you cannot find it in this passage. This passage does not teach that women cannot speak in the church. All right? Now, I know many of you have taken this passage to believe that, but I believe it's because you've taken it out of context. Now, one of the major passages we have to look at is the one in 2 Timothy 5, 2, that talks about women having authority over the man and so on, and not teaching. Uh, we'll look at that another time. But this passage here does not... Give the directive that women are not to speak in church at all. It's directed to wives. And it's not chattering here. Some people say it's just women chattering. You know, you're talking to one another. That's not the situation. The situation is where the wives would get up and disrupt the meeting and stop. And says, hey, now, you prophet, you're evaluating this, but hey, you're wrong here. Or why don't you say this as well? And so on. In doing so, they show they they show a lack of respect for their husbands as well. And so Paul gives a final admonition in verse 37. 
He says, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, you see now he's speaking directly to these people because that's what they were claiming. They were thinking that they were all prophets. They were all spiritually gifted. He should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. He says, if you are really in tune with the spirit of God, you will recognize immediately that my words are coming from God and not myself. It's the Lord's command. So in effect, he's saying, if you are as spiritual as you say you are, you you will readily agree that what I'm saying is God's truth. Then verse 38, but if anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. And that's another statement that has given uh, room for discussion. Some says how it should be interpreted as this. If anyone does not agree with this, then um, if anyone does not agree with what I am saying, your decision will not be recognized. But what actually I believe is saying is this in the context, that if you ignore what I'm saying that comes from God, God will ignore you in a coming day. Remember he says that not all who say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, and not all who uh, perform miracles and do all kinds of things, and not all of them have God's approval. And that's what Paul is saying here, I believe. All of you who claim you have all of these gifts, and if you say that I am not speaking the word of God, I believe in the coming day you're going to find out it's you who are not recognized by God and not me. So it's strong words here, Paul, but Paul is very specific. This is how the Bible Knowledge Commentary comments on this passage. Quote, these verses were Paul's conclusion not only to the immediately preceding directives, but also to all his discussion about Corinthians' irregularities in worship and the needed correctives. He expected some opposition, but warned that those who oppose him did so at their own peril. Anyone who ignores the Lord's command would find himself ignored by the Lord in the coming day. Why? Because his actions would show that he never knew the Lord. It's a powerful statement here that Paul is making. So my own conclusion then, Paul here, and Paul's concluding remarks, I should say, he says, therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in other languages. But everything must be done decently and in order. So what is he saying? He says, now listen, continue to give special attention to the gifts which were most beneficial to the church as a whole without denying the gifts of tongues. Still focus on the, what he calls the uh, superior gifts or the better gifts. Or the, he says, but don't say that people cannot speak in tongues. Just be sure they do it properly according to these directives. Be sure that the church services are conducted in a fitting and orderly way. It's amazing how some people criticize churches that do things decently and in order. Too rigid, too stiff, too formal. Paul probably would go contrary to that because he gives specific orders here what to do and what not to do. Very specific, you see. Some people like to even criticize what we call ritualism. He says, I don't go to this church or that church because it's too ritualistic. Not realizing that every church has some form of ritualism to it. When we have pray at a certain time and only at that time, that's ritualism. 
when we receive offering, that's ritualism. You see what I'm saying? But we've got to do it decently and in order. That's what Paul is insisting on. Do it decently and in order. Why? Because he'll say later that the Spirit, God rather, who is the Spirit as well, but God is a God, is not a God of confusion. He's a God of what? Order. You see, and that's what he's calling for here. And so I'm saying to you, and again, I know some of you here and probably some of our own leaders will disagree with this particular statement from here. First Corinthians 14, in my understanding of that text, does not forbid women from speaking or giving a message in church. I'm not saying that other texts do not. What I am saying is that this passage does not. All Paul is looking for here is that everyone who takes part in any form or fashion is to, be, is to do it in a decent and orderly fashion because then edification could take place and unsaved people who come in would be able to see that the spirit of God is going to control and not man. That's Paul's point. All right? So what I'm saying for our own application here, let us be sure that we heed the word of God. And again, let us be sure that our opinions of the word of God is based upon careful study and meditation of the word of God. Because sometimes we stand for things that are er erroneous, that is not the real teaching of the word. And I'm sure we're going to have all kinds of debate because of that later on. But that's my understanding of the text at this point. Let me say I have changed my position on this text through the years. And it's because of the elaborate and concentrated study I did on it just a few years ago, you see. And uh, I am not afraid or ashamed to admit that I make changes in positions if I feel the Spirit of God is leading me in that fashion after careful study. Amen? Father, thank you for your word. Help us to be submissive to your word. And we pray that we might heed your spirit speaking to us today when he has set, told us to this word to do everything decently and in order and to do things in a way when we meet that will show love by building up the body of Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.